Have you ever wanted to talk to bacteria? All this and so much more on this episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. I am Dr. K and I have returned once again to share with you guys another neat story about what goes on in the lifestyles of the small and infamous, our beautiful tiny bacteria. Um, Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in for another one of these episodes, and I hope that whilst you are here, um, you'll be sure to follow the show, give us a five-star rating at whatever podcast medium you are listening, and listen to some of our other episodes as well. Um, In addition, if you'd like to stay up to date on the show and other cool scientific stories, we are trying to curate the Instagram page a little bit more, but... um, if you'd like to stay up to date with that, um, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Science with Dr. K. That is Science with Dr. Underscore K. Um, the link is found in the show notes. But enough with the preamble. Let us jump into the story for this week. So um, we've been having this larger and broader conversation over the past couple of weeks about this emerging problem of antibiotic resistance or the notion that given the fact that bacteria are super good at evolving and adapting to environmental situations, environmental stressors, uh, then they will at some point overcome all the antibiotics that we have on hand and we'll have to have some other mechanism, some other idea uh, in order to try and control bacterial growth. Um, Now, last week we talked about bacteriophages, those tiny little viruses that track down specific bacteria and kill them from the inside out. Um, We discussed how there are researchers out there right now, uh, and they are trying to use these super specific predators to take out antibiotic-resistant bacteria. So that's a very, very cool idea. We ended last episode, though, um, by hinting at another mechanism by which we can control antibiotic resistance and have it not be such a huge deal. I do want to emphasize the word here, uh, control, because if we think about it, at the end of the day, it's not really about killing the bacteria. We don't actually need to kill them. We just need to control them. They don't have to stop existing or anything. We just don't want them to be completely running all over our bodies and have no way of pairing them back or getting rid of them. It turns out that this distinction is actually really, really important because if you think about it, If you give a bacteria an antibiotic, and, wow, there's a kid's book title, if I have ever heard one. Um, If you give a bacteria an antibiotic, it has to either adapt or die, right? And so naturally, that's going to enrich for bacteria that have fully adapted, fully evolved to overcome an antibiotic, right? But what if instead of telling the bacteria that it needs to die, we just simply tell it to grow and go someplace else, right? The bacteria isn't malicious. It's not like out for vengeance or anything, And it's not like it can say no, it's just making a decision based off of what it is perceiving at the time. So if we can have some way of telling the bacteria, well, hey, little bacteria, if you don't mind, could you please not be quite so toxic? Or maybe maybe you could perhaps not form a biofilm if it's all the same to you. If we can tell it to the bacteria that way, right, then that would really go a long way because it wouldn't start enriching for something like antibiotic resistance, right? It would in theory, keep it keep it from attacking us. So what we need isn't necessarily a way to kill the bacteria. We just need to figure out a way to tell the bacteria that they need to chill and just go away or do, do something else, right? Now, wait a minute. One second, Dr. K, um, thinking that something might be amiss. This is all very well and good, but how are you going to go about telling a bacteria that they need to not be so toxic if you cannot speak to them, right? It's not like they can just 
hear you and respond to what we're saying, right? Well, um, while I can neither confirm nor deny whether or not bacteria respond to the dulcet tones of my buttery smooth voice, what I can say is that rather than being completely voiceless and languageless, bacteria have a really, really cool mechanism and language with which they talk with each other, right? They have a way of having conversations with their brothers and sisters, with sometimes with bacteria that look nothing like them, um, conversations with bacteria that are totally genetically distinct from them. And with this language comes the ability to do some really complex behaviors that we see in bacteria. Uh, and this ability altogether is called quorum sensing. Now, first off, we need to do a little bit of background on quorum sensing, how it works. Why is it that bacteria need quorum sensing? Is there any point to this? Um, and if you spend a little bit of time thinking about it, it'll be, well, you'll realize that, yeah, bacteria run into a bit of a problem when it comes to doing anything. And as always, it's a problem of scale. It's sometimes really easy to forget just how small a bacteria is. They are super, super, super small. And when you're really, really small, it makes it really hard to tackle really huge problems like making a biofilm or taking down a human immune system, stuff like that. Um, a single bacterium cannot do that sort of thing on its own, right? And while that presents a really big problem, while bacteria struggle a little bit when it comes to size, they dominate the field when it comes to quantity, if you rule out bacteriophages. Other than bacteriophages, bacteria dominate the field when it comes to quantity. If a bacteria had a way that they could tell all the other bacteria to do one thing at the same time, then they'd have a way of doing some pretty crazy things. That will be a way that you could go about attacking an immune system. That will be a way you could go about fighting off other bacterial species. Right? For bacteria, if you can do things together as one unit, you can do anything. And this is where quorum sensing comes into play. Quorum sensing is a molecular language that allows bacteria to coordinate their group behavior with other bacteria. Right? By talking with each other constantly and, and filling each other in on the status of everybody else, they can coordinate their behavior and do these really, really incredible complex things that we see, including becoming resistant to antibiotics. Okay, Dr. K, so uh, you say that sounds a little bit ridiculous. Bacteria have a language. How is that even possible? Well, um, this all gets down to the molecular biochemistry of these little guys. So what let's do is let's paint a little bit of a picture here, and then we'll see if we can if we can make that clear. So um, let's zoom in on an individual bacterium. We'll zoom in and take a close look at their cell membrane. Cell membranes, as we've mentioned before, um, they have lipids, they have sugars, they have proteins attached to it. Some of these proteins can act as signals for the interior of the cell or the brain of the cell, however you want to think about it. Um, what they'll do is they'll sense something on the outside of the cell. And then you can kind of think about it this way. They sense something on the outside of the cell, and then a little alarm bell goes off on the inside of the cell that causes the cell to react in a very specific way. So, for example, if a protein on the membrane senses there's a little bit of food next to the bacteria, a specific type of alarm bell goes off on the inside of the bacteria that sends a specific message to the rest of the bacteria, and that specific message then causes the bacteria to start changing so it can reach out and grab the food. Okay? Now... If we keep this image of proteins being able to sense the environment and then um, make suggestions to the rest of the bacteria um, or, or, or make sure that they know how to respond to it, right, 
Now let's say that there are bacteria are also able to send out signals into the environment that basically just say, hey, I'm here, right? If you take those two constants in mind, you could imagine a situation where one bacteria sends out a signal that says, hey, I'm here. And then a different bacteria has a protein that grabs the signal and then a bell rings inside that bacteria that says, hey, look, we have one of our buddies here. Okay. Quorum sensing is just like that, but it's just scaled up, right? In quorum sensing, bacteria have a whole bunch of proteins that are on the lookout for molecules from other bacteria that say, hey, I'm here. Now, what would happen if there were just a couple other bacteria around? Only a couple of, hey, I'm here messages would be around. So the chance of a bacteria grabbing them and being aware of the presence of other bacteria is actually really low, right? But what happens if more and more bacteria show up, if the bacteria start growing? That means that there's more and more bacteria all shouting, hey, 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 I'm here. And that means that it's more and more likely that the signal that our bacteria with a protein sensor will be triggered, okay? So what that means then is that quorum sensing molecules not only serve as a way of sensing if any of their brothers and sisters are around, but also as a way of sensing how many of their brothers and sisters are around. Okay. Now, let's put that back in the context of coordinated group behavior. If you wanted to do something really big, if you really wanted to tackle an immune system, if you really wanted to tackle a different set of um, bacteria, right, and you just had a couple of brothers and sisters around, then you probably would hold off. But if more and more of your brothers and sisters showed up, eventually you get to the point where you're like, yeah, we can do this. And you would change your behavior based on the fact that there are so many of you guys around. Okay? And this is what happens with bacteria. Using quorum sensing, what they do is they keep track of the amount of their species that are around. And at a certain point, at a certain threshold, those hey, I'm here molecules are at a high enough concentration that the bacteria all realize that there are tons of their species that are present. And once they make that realization, then it causes a rapid shift in the genetics of the bacteria and then a rapid shift in behavior. Okay? Now, what is an example of this in nature? What's an example of this uh, of this quorum sensing behavior in, in nature? Well, the most classic example, um, actually a really cool example um, of this, is the bacteria Vibrio fisheri. It's an aquatic bacteria. Vibrio lives in the mantle of the bobtail squid, which is a tiny little... Uh, Cthulhu-looking looking guy that trundles around the ocean. Another name for the bobtail squid is the stubby squid or the dumpling squid. And yes, you should definitely look them up because they are even cuter than they sound. Um, but anyway, about the bacteria, Vibrio, Vibrio fisheri, as I mentioned, it lives in the mantle of the little, of the little squid. And they have a really, really neat evolutionarily um, symbiotic relationship with them, right? So the, the bacteria and the squid have a really good partnership that they have that they've put together and all of this hinges on quorum sensing of vibrio so how does this work well um, it goes a little something like this when the tiny little squid is tired and wishes to sleep it trundles over to the beach and just kind of nestles itself in the sand to hide from predators right so it covers itself up and just kind of chills right at this time the bacteria in the mantle are really really low concentration Right? So that means that the amount of quorum sensing molecules, i.e. the amount of, hey, I'm here, molecules, that is, is really, really low. So the bacteria don't really do that much. I mean, why, why would they? There's only a handful of them. 
But what happens is the squid then feeds the bacteria, it feeds Vibrio a series of sugars so that the bacteria can grow and divide and grow and divide, thus increasing the amount of bacteria and thus the amount of quorum sensing molecules in that localized environment. Okay? Now, after the tiny squid's tiny nap, it is very hungry and it's time to sail the ocean blue in search of food. At this point, it's nighttime, the moon and stars are out. But the big problem for a tiny squid as it goes trundling throughout the water um, is that there's a lot of predators that would love to chomp down on the bobtail squid, right? So it has to have some way of camouflaging itself um, as it's going around searching for food, right? And this, this is where the bacteria come in. So at this point, right, the bacteria have been growing this whole time as the as the, um, as the bobtail squid has been napping, the bacteria have been growing and growing and growing. So the bacteria are at a really, really high concentration, and there's a lot of bacteria all screaming, hey, hey, I'm here, all at the same time, right? They've reached a population concentration where it's time to make a big and rapid change in their behavior. And the particular, particular excuse me, behavior that they have linked up with their quorum sensing is glowing, Right about this time, all the bacteria as one unit start to glow. They all start to glow at the exact same time. And while one bacteria doesn't glow all that much, all the bacteria together in that mantle glow pretty brightly. The mantle of the the entire mantle of the bobtail squid starts to glow, and then it shakes the last couple of grains of sand off of itself and starts swimming through the ocean. Okay? So what does this mean in terms of predation? How does glowing help with predation? Well, one way that predators can seek out prey in the ocean is through a difference in light. So if a bacteria from the bottom of the sea, and, it, and most predators come from below in the ocean, um, if a predator from the bottom of the sea is looking for some food, what it'll do is it'll try to pick out the silhouette of smaller creatures against the light of the moon and the stars. So in this way, it can it can kind of look up from the bottom of the sea and then see if there's anything to munch on based off of the contrast of the lights. What happens in the case of the squid, however, is since the bacteria are giving off this really soft light from the mantle, they don't cast a silhouette against the moon and stars that can be picked up by predators. And so as a result, the squid doesn't really cast a shadow, so it can just keep on you know, trundling along through the water, nibbling on food and enjoying its life and not worrying about being eaten by a predator. So afterwards, when the squid is like super full and the sun is coming out, it's time for it to go back to sleep in the sand. So what it does is it puts a little shutter over the mantle lantern um, using an ink sac or it blows out the lantern by removing the bacteria, a handful of bacteria and reducing the concentration of the bacteria. And then since the concentration of the bacteria is low again at that point, well, then the bacteria, you know, they turn off their glowing and they just go back to growing. So it's a really, really cool, adorable instance of symbiosis between bacteria and what I'll call a macroorganism, right? And it's quorum sensing, it's quorum sensing that is, um, that is the, the hinge between this interaction, okay? All right, let's recap this. Uh, number one. Bacteria are tiny little guys, and they cannot do much by themselves. If they want to do anything really big, then they have to do coordinated group activity. Number two, bacteria emit a series of small molecules that are picked up by the receptors on the membranes of other bacteria that serve as indicators of the amount of bacteria that are present. 
Number three, as the amount of bacteria increase, the amount of quorum sensing molecules increases as well. And bacteria can measure the amount of bacteria present in a given environment based off of the amount of quorum sensing molecules. And number four, based on the amount of quorum sensing molecules, bacteria can link up specific types of behavior with the amount of bacteria that are present. An example being glowing in the bobtail squid. Now, there's so, so very much more to talk about uh, with respect to quorum sensing. It's one of my favorite topics to discuss. Um, we discussed how bacteria can sense how many of their own species are present, but it turns out they can sense how many of other bacteria are present as well. This is super important for things like bacterial infighting, bacterial conjugation, and stuff like that. Um, but the most important thing to note here is this. The behavior linked with quorum sensing can vary from bacteria to bacteria. We talked about glowing, but a lot of other behaviors can be turned on, or importantly, turned off by manipulating quorum sensing, doing bacterial conjugation, doing virulence, growing at all. All of these behaviors can be manipulated when you manipulate quorum sensing, which means that if we can understand the code that bacteria use to talk with each other, we can tell bacteria what to do. And having a conversation with bacteria, being able to tell bacteria what to do would be super useful if we're trying to stave off antibiotic resistance. What are some things that we could tell bacteria to do using quorum sensing? How could we use something like this for therapy? Well, we will talk a little bit more about that next week um, where we're going to unpack this really, really cool paper, one of my favorite papers of all time, on how we can use something like quorum sensing for therapy. But that, that is for another episode. That is for next week. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in with me today. I had a super great time. Hope you all did as well. But until then, I hope you all have a blessed and beautiful day. And I hope you'll spend next, next week with me, Dr. K, on another episode of Short Stories of Bacteria. 